0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Control Yourself Podcast. I am Dr. Andreo Spina. Today's episode is brought to you by functionalanatomyseminars.com. Please visit functionalanatomyseminars.com to learn more about the functional range systems, including functional range conditioning, functional range assessment, functional range release, and kin stretch. So all of the functional range systems um, you can learn more about those systems. You can learn more about the certifications. Uh, now, of course, we have online certifications running all over the world. Um, so please visit functionalanatomyseminars.com for further information. We are also brought to you by westside-barbell.com, westside-barbell.com. Westside Barbell, if you don't know, is, a, is an industry leader in uh, strength and conditioning, um, powerlifting, Uh, All Things Strength. So if you haven't heard of Westside Barbell, uh, I really advise you go check them out because it's a wealth of information. If you use the checkout code uh, DRE10 uh, upon checkout from your purchase of uh, merchandise, uh, clothing, etc., you will receive 10% off of your purchase. So that is DRE, D-R-E, and the number 10 at checkout at westside-barbell.com. In this episode, I sit down with my friend and colleague, Dr. Duncan French. Uh, Dr. French is the vice president of performance at the UFC Performance Institute in Las Vegas, um, where I teach at um, frequently. Uh, Dr. French is also uh, really globally recognized as a leading expert in high-performance sport um, in addition to, you know, being the vice president of UFCPI, prior to this he was the head and strength and conditioning at the English Institute of Sport. Uh, he was also the head of S and C at the Newcastle United Football Club in the Barclays English Premier League. He's co-authored over 60 peer-reviewed scientific manuscripts, manuscripts rather, as well as seven book chapters. Uh, interestingly, Duncan holds a PhD from the University of Connecticut. Uh, in exercise physiology, and his major or his focus was on neuroendocrinology. Uh, and as such, a lot of this conversation um, is looking at the effects of resistance training and conditioning uh, on the neuroendocrine system. Uh, we get in a lot of topics uh, regarding this. Um, topics range from you know training intensities. We talk about creating an anabolic environment for the for an athlete. We talk about the role of the hypothalamic pituitary access or the HPA access. We talk uh, at length about stress and its effect on hormonal output and metabolism. Of course, uh, he's dealing with mixed martial arts athletes on a regular basis, so he has something to say about uh, stressful situations and how to manage them. Uh, We talk about exercise selection and sports specificity, uh, more specific to MMA athletes. Uh, However, it can be... Uh, understood uh, in the lens of any athlete or sport. We talk uh, a lot about the psychological factors that enhance or depress neuroendocrine output. We talk about the progressive overload principle, training accommodation. Uh, we talk about the role of genetics in high level um, athletics versus the training effect, uh, and a bunch more. We also get into the inner workings of the uh, Ultimate Fighting Championship Performance Institute, the UFCPI. Uh, And how that works and and, and what it's offering um, to fighters, as well as what it's offering to the world in terms of MMA research, um, in terms of uh, MMA training and athlete care. Uh, It's a great episode, whether or not you're a fan of mixed martial arts, uh, if you're a fan of exercise and optimizing uh, human health, uh, of course this uh, discussion on the neuroendocrine system will be uh, of great value to you. So, Without further delay, I bring you my friend and colleague, Dr. Duncan French. We are here with the infamous Dr. Duncan French. And I don't In, know how infamous? long... Infamous? Because this is the second attempt at this podcast... The first time we ended up blaming Dana White for shitty internet connection at the UFCPI. Right. You have to apologize for me because even the media room had shitty Wi-Fi, but it may <laughs> have been my shitty Wi-Fi.
1: That's not why everyone's tuned in. Dr. French, how are you, sir? I'm good, Dre. Thank you so much. We, we're going to get there, I promise. At some point, this is going to happen. Hopefully, it's right now.
0: <laughs> well, if it fucks up again, we're going to pause it, and then we're just going to start again with
1: new clothes. And you'll have more stubble here, and I'll have more beard. You know what I mean? I was just about to say, the, hair, the hairstyle will probably still be the same, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well,
0: I'm getting less options, and you have none, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. Great to All hear right. from you, mate.
0: Duncan, listen. So, we have never had we. – I've known you for many years now, but you yeah. never get to sit down and have a conversation with someone uh, quite like this. So, how about we start with the potted version of – Duncan French and
1: who he is and 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 where you are right now yeah um obviously with the UFC Performance Institute I'm the vice president of performance um based in Las Vegas yeah there you go look at right. wearing the gear the free the free stash I love it you know yeah, that's it's, right that's right <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so having a great time over here I've been with the UFC since April of 2017 yeah. Um uh, so it's been an exciting journey today and long may it continue so,
0: Dr. in French, what is, what, I, where did you go to school?
1: Uh, my PhD is from UConn, University of Connecticut. Um, okay. I actually started my PhD studies at Ball State University in Indiana, because um, I worked with uh, William Kramer, Dr. William Kramer, who is uh, yes, uh, he was my professor, and then he actually transferred and took seven of his grad students across to UConn with him. So uh, from 2000 to 2001, I was at Ball State, and then uh, 2001 to 2004, I was at uh, UConn, and that's where I ultimately graduated from.
0: And where did you do your PhD
1: in exercise physiology? Um, I'm largely a neuroendocrinologist. Um, you know, looking at, uh, you know, the hormonal interface with uh, resistance training um, and, and exercise in general, you know, the, the great thing about my PhD, um, which was fascinating at the time was, um, you know, we I was part of a lab team, a pretty prolific lab group, you know, so it wasn't um, like from day one, I, I just had a single stream of interest the way Dr. Kramer ran his uh, his research group was we all took part in every single kind of funded research study that was taking place so in all honesty i've done everything from you know working with nfl guys on you know the the early assessments of underarm compression um, garments back in you know 2000 2000- Uh, to 2001 through to putting topical ointments on 90 year old nuns wrists to see how it deals with osteoarthritis so uh, Mm. yeah Mm. everything and in between which was uh, you know I went there to work with him on hormones and resistance training but actually on reflection it was a great grounding and looking at you know a spectrum of different things and um, I I look back and you know I have fond memories because that was really really valuable to have such a diverse insights to so many different types of projects we were running.
0: It's such, it's so important that people don't give it credit for Like if you want to learn one topic and you're interested in one topic, the smartest people who I know in one topic are broadly smart on various topics and they know how to pull it together and, and bring it into the fold of what they're specialized in, if that makes sense. So when I have students, it's the same thing. It's like you're teaching stuff that they would think would be, when am I going to use this? It's not going to work and blah, blah, blah. But when you build this kind of like broader foundation, Uh, or lens that you can then use to focus on what you want to focus on it 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 always makes you more uh, it it makes the the, I don't know what it it makes you make more connections interconnections between important facts that you might have overlooked before
1: yeah I mean I couldn't agree more and on a personal level philosophically I mean when I work with athletes and the way I go about athletic development is I want I want to give people the biggest encyclical encyclopedia of information of physical or physiological information that they can then utilize now they only might use chapter two three and four of yep. this massive encyclopedia but it just gives you a bigger vocabulary to then draw upon so when you look at you know what what you're saying when you when you get exposed to different I mean, paradigms and different areas of interest and different insights. You just lock that into the back of your mind and you can always draw upon it as needed, you know, experientially. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, that, that, that's the way I try and go about working with, with athletes is, you know, let, let's not sports specificity like everyone gets so wrapped up in specificity but i think you know having general athleticism and a, and a huge encyclopedia to draw on as i would call it mm-hmm. um and you know that's my philosophical approach rather than you know super specialism uh, and 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 then then they can take their skills wherever they can go just more more general skills right absolutely and it, I, sports specialism. i i don't i don't even I, human specializing first right exactly exactly and you know it comes down to biology and physiology one at the end of the day let's be honest we're uh, changing yeah. you know, we're changing tissue and signal nervous signals and signaling and this type of thing so
0: okay so now this is going to take me completely off course because of course i want to talk about the the work at the pi right uh, but feel free to go as deep as you want like go back into your phd work if you like because <laughs> oh, i'm geez. particularly interested you said it's in neuroendocrinology. And of resistance training, which is funny enough, I'm, I'm, I'm in the midst of, of researching this topic right now for a separate reason, but I'm interested in your take on resistance training and specifically what the body is receiving from the training versus what we think we're giving the body. And what I mean by that is with regards to resistance training, you're going to get endocrinological effects. So there's going to be an effect on, the uh, on your endocrine system. Mm-hmm. And it f- seems to me, at least, that a lot of people link those effects to particular movements that they do. So the deadlift, for example, because the deadlift requires such a, you know, a, a large amount of tissue, you would say that the deadlift drives neuroendocrine effect. The mm-hmm. bench press drives neuroendocrine effect. So it's almost like they couple the neuroendocrine effect that you're looking for with a particular exercise. Is that how the body sees it? Or is it just stress? Does the body respond to stress? Or does the body respond to the squats? And forget about the physiological tissues of the quads. I'm talking about the the other body, not the meat wagon. I'm talking about the neural body that's controlling all of this and, and how the endocrine system affects it. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. And, and that's ultimately why I call myself a neuroendocrinologist, because yeah. it's almost impossible to separate the two. Mm-hmm. Um, y- yeah, we, you know, we understand that there's androgen receptors on, you know, neural axons and you know, neural tissue. So we can get, you know, anabolic signals into the nervous system at very discrete points of interface and interaction. But as you've you know you use the word stress and stress is a a conscious um, you know it's it's a conscious mechanism and I think you know linking the the nervous the, the consciousness of a, the stress of load of force of energy application um, obviously then sets off an a, you know a, a cascade of endocrine signalling that then leads either through you know endocrine processes which is obviously largely circular versus autocrine which is much more intricate at the point of tissue of of the tissue and yeah yeah, that that interconnectivity between the nervous interpretation of what the stress or the load is Mm -hmm. goes straight to the central parts of the brain and your hypothalamic pituitary access then sets off that sympathetic drive that sympathetic you know, release of of hormonal, uh, you know, the internal milieu of sympathetic hormones that then support, you know, be it energy preservation, um, be it, you know, neural tissue arousal, um, that that then we know as endocrine um, interaction. So, yeah, I would would agree with you that it's very much, um, you know, the, the nervous system and the endocrine system sit intimately with each other. It's hard to differentiate the two. Because from my perspective, and of course, you know what I do because I've been at the PI teaching or
0: doing seminars mm-hmm. for a while now. But from my perspective, I, I, I often fight with people who insist on repeating the same exercises all the time because exercises seem to, to have a life of their own, mm-hmm. like the deadlift and the squat or Olympic lifting, such to the effect that people have this idea that they have to be doing those exercises. And what happens is the people get focused on what I call external exercises, like the bench press. And when I say external, I mean, when I say the word bench press, we're clearly you and I are creating a conscious constraint to movement because we want you to do something that you know as being the bench press. Does that make sense? So you might bench a little bit different than me, but generally when I say bench press, we have the same picture in our head. So there's an external constraint to the person's training. And then I'll often argue with people that, if you continuously try to better yourself at the bench press, you're, you're really only hitting the exact same line of tissue over and, over and over and over and over, and you're fluctuating between high load, low load, high load, I got injured, low load again, fluctuate back to high load. And if you're, drawing, if you're running the same lines, of course, connective tissue cannot adapt indefinitely, so you end up getting to a, a, a point where the tissue yields, okay? Okay. That's a long way to get at my point. But the point being is that like you, like I, I've always said that it's not the exercise you're doing. It's the effort you're putting in that gets you the endocrine response that we want. And, and I think that's that, So
1: would you say I'm correct in that? I mean, you hit on two points. Number one is something we've previously just discussed in terms of reductionism, and I think in science, when we look at science, it's a world of reductionism. It's a it's a world of trying to get to the the of what is going on biologically or physiologically. I think one of the fascinating things when I you know first spoke to you and and, and sat in the course is this systemic approach of how you look at um, you know, connective tissue and modifying movement. Right. And I think, you know, that really resonated with me because there's a time to be a reductionist, but there's also a global holistic system of interaction that is just the human organism. So that, that, you know, that, that resonates with me. And then the other part of it is what my, you know, what my PhD was actually on um, was looking at repeat exposure to force So we did a pretty aggressive um, squat protocol and we exposed athletes to it again and again and again to look at what the sympathetic response was. So to look at um, epinephrine and norepinephrine, like adrenaline, noradrenaline, Mm. um, and how that then signaled testosterone release, the anabolic cascade that comes from epinephrine release and then creating an anabolic environment that then promotes uh, attachment of the, you know, the, testosterone to the nervous system. And then you can potentiate the neural signal. Okay. So that's kind of what my whole PhD was about. And what we found was the repeat exposure across time actually blunts that response. You become, the, the arousal gets suppressed. You get used to the exposure, the, the terror or the, 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 you know, the I'm going in to do this six by 10, 80% is like a, like I know what that feels like now. My arousal prior to that workout actually gets suppressed. So coming back to your point, yes, if you continually expose the body to it a, to, a, to the same exercise, let's say your body, as it should—that's what the body does—it it, it adapts to the overload, and now the overload is um, reduced, and, and you're no longer getting the physiological response, and that's the key to training and the the strategy of training is that you've got to continually change the stimulus you've got to continually trick the body or make the body guess so then it responds and i think you know like i say two key points let's not always look in a reductionist fashion Mm -hmm. and from my my work in my phd understanding that the body adapts pretty quickly so within two to three workouts um of a very strenuous um session We saw the biokinetics of a a significant of a group of well-trained individuals completely change to the same stimulus, the same response. So, if that's the case, you've got to then chase a new stimulus to repotentiate the whole process.
0: So, you you were referring to what I would refer to as accommodation, which absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. which really means that your body is trying. See. Your body's lazy as shit, right? Your body doesn't want to fucking spend energy it doesn't want to spend. So it's trying to find ways to make whatever you give it easier, right? Yeah. And when people get better at bench press, oh I got stronger. No, you got easier. You know what I mean? It got easier, but it it, it it's not that it's not necessarily that you you accommodated to the exercise. I say this about swimming, right? It's like swimming's the best cardiovascular exercise when you don't know what the hell you're doing. But as soon as you know how to swim, you're literally learning to accommodate to the water such that you preserve energy. You're trying to be as efficient as possible. That's the whole point of swimming. (laughs) Yeah. And and you see how the confusion gets it because it's like, I have to deadlift. I have to deadlift. Well, no, you really don't have to deadlift. You have to stress large amounts of tissue. Mm -hmm. Um, I would argue specifically for whatever it is that you do, and then you have to also try to get these neuroendocrine responses. So you have to care for, it's all the same stuff, but you care for it on both sides. But that's fascinating because for people listening to understand what we're saying is, is I'll call this reaching the Hayflick limit, right? So the Hayflick limit is like all, all somatic cells have a, a number of times that they can replicate properly, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. And if you continue to run that same line with the same amount of information, you run down that Hayflick limit. So that line of tissue is going to yield, right? That's why you have to learn to distribute the load amongst other tissues. Yeah. You can't just specialize in the damn bench press is what I keep telling people, right? And, right. and you, you're saying it responds the same way in terms of the neurological effect, because even psychologically, when you're used to doing it, that dampens the, the, the fear, stress response. And we kind of want that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And at that point that's the time to reevaluate your training. That's yeah, periodization let's call it. But that, that's that's progressive overload. It's the supercompensation cycle that we're all aware of training 101, right? Yeah. As you create the alarm and the and the rebound, the rebound becomes less. We've got to create a different alarm system. So, yeah, I agree with you and I think the other thing is that um, you know, we've got to understand that the environment Whilst we're targeting tissue adaptation, the environment is is a crucial part of that. Be it anabolic or be it metabolic, excuse me, um, endocrine or metabolic, like or neural, like mm-hmm. we're not just targeting muscle tissue or fascia or in, in your case or connective tissue. Sure. The environment, the surrounding environment, is going to support or attenuate the the the. Um, the adaptation process, let's say. And that, that, that's where I come at it from a kind of neuroendocrinologist, but someone that is into, you know, resistance training and strength training historically. Um, it, it, you know, it's it's kind of a light bulb moment. Yes, we can target tissue, but we can also target that tissue, but create a, a an external environment around that tissue that is also going to super compensate it even more.
0: Exactly. It's how you pick your inputs and then how the inputs are applied. You can drive different effects neurologically, endocrinologically, endocr you know the word endocrinologically. Uh, aerobically, anaerobically. It's it's yeah. all about, but load is load, which is what right. I find is amazing, especially to the body. Because I always say like the nervous system grows its meat. It's like the you you know, if you think about this from the beginning, the nervous system comes online and it's like, oh my God, I can take in information and I have this brain thing to process it. And then it's like okay, but there's there's so much information coming in. How do I funnel this information? Well, the answer is to grow meat, right? Yeah. So your ectoderm it grows mesoderm, and then it's completely connected. It's like your your it's like your your meat is the cilia that your nervous system uses to learn about its environment. And then you have this endocrine system working in the background with your nervous system. But those two things are for the same purpose. It's for the goals of the of the
1: of the brain the central nervous system and the meat yeah. is the meat right yeah I and mean, here's the paradox right yeah. the the more you send a specific signal the more that meat is going to become thicker and thicker and thicker and you're really laying down that neural signal but yeah. when we talk about like athletic diversity and overload if we just lie down on this one pathway of nerve neural signaling we're negating the development of all the other components. And and that's the paradox that we're playing with. How much do I do I really target and stress a particular adaptation versus getting too chaotic that would you know, on the other side of the fence, if you're just too chaotic, that the signal is too dilute that you don't actually lay this meat down. So that's a real paradox. I think in training that we're always playing with how much, how much do we get specific and how long is that deadlift going to happen for versus when do I change it? And when is the appropriate time? And what, what's the accommodation factor in part one to then make part two happen? You know, I think that's an interesting, interesting component to try it's not it's not done it's not done well
0: and and you can tell it's not done well because the overuse injuries are so predictable Mm -hmm. you know what i mean For, for particular sports
1: oh yeah yeah it's, yeah, it's the same. and it's 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 hard to like, like like there's no hard or fast answer as well yeah. your physiology my physiology that that same exposure is going to be completely different i always say this like you, you can have a team of 15 basketball players and give them the same workout it's going to be 15 different responses to the same workout yeah so yeah. understanding that is the challenge that we're presented with for sure
0: yeah and i i i'm i'm a fan of individual sport uh mm-hmm. athlete sports like Actually, I'm only a fan of combat sports. All if right. If you want to write <laughs> things down. If care, it why yeah. did Dre get, become a sports specialist? I, 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 I love baseball because of the, the study of the physiology of what's happening and the neurology in the athlete. I don't particularly like to watch a game of baseball, if that makes sense. I don't remember where I was going with this, but does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I have more interest in the athlete themselves. So I was going to say... Whenever people ask me, it's like, do you like this group training or that group training? Or for my sake, it's like, should I go to kin stretch or should I work with someone specifically? Uh, well, the answer is always, if you can work with someone specifically for, for the reason you just gave, it's like, no matter how good group training is, it's never as good as individual training. If we don't right. agree to that, then we have to agree that all assessment protocols that we use are useless because it doesn't matter anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. You know what i mean? but yeah I like, I like your perspective on it, but i, I yeah I agree with you I, I yeah. agree and I think that you know that's that 's the liberty that I have in our or, you know our team have right now and, and we work with an, in an individual sport right we work with individual fighters um, and you know in previous life I was in the English Premier League, and you know i 've got thirty five soccer players and you know, you've got to get them all through this through a through a workout. You've got to develop them. But uh it's a challenge, you know. Mm-hmm. And and then I go to Notre Dame and you've got you know hundred and six football players and you're like, you know, okay, this is a an, an interesting challenge. Uh, but you, you, you've basically gotta accept that you're not optimizing every single organism then, right? Every single person is not getting optimized. So
0: Okay, but this is so interesting, Duncan. I gotta stay on it now. So
1: <laughs> yes, but would you say but they just
0: came to me as well. Again, would you say that from an from a systems perspective? Okay. If you take a group of soccer players, you'd be, you'd be comf- confident that you were driving particular systems so that you would improve the person, you know, their aerobic system, their anaerobic system, neurologic drive, endocrine output. Those ones seem more general yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it seems to me if you give me 100 people, I can train you aerobically. Oh,
1: you got a, a yeah. person in the background. Streaker. There's a streaker. I've, uh, <laughs> so yeah. I've, that's I've, healthy French, my three year old. That's the joys of working from home. <laughs> okay.
0: um, where was I? That was the most interrupted I've ever been on a Sorry. Point. You're a gen, <laughs> oh, no, general, say, general systems. But, but I mean, but then it comes down to when you're dealing with the meat, the meat is different, right? Like the meat, like it, let's take a fighter that I know is that, like Nganu or something. If Nganu has, you know, a right glenohumeral joint problem, then those inputs cannot be, let's just generally stimulate the system. It has to be right glenohumeral joint stimulation, very specific. So it's like the meat is the specificity of the training and then the systems just have to be driven. Yeah. And then it can be driven specific to what, to what we do, I just had a conversation with Corey Peacock. Peacock I know you know Corey, and, yeah, yeah, good, good friend of mine. Uh, yeah, and and we were we were talking about something some something similar, right? Like, it, he, he was saying that for his fighters, he's really just taking them and then making sure that their systems are optimized to output fight night. right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm gonna. <laughs> I, I seem to always respond him with a, a, a double edged kind of response, but you all are right. <laughs> they, yeah. They, I mean, if you're optimizing systems, then you're dealing with someone's genetic potential, right? Everyone has a bucket, right? How yeah. big is how big is your bucket, and how high are we filling the bucket? Are we filling it to the top, or is it eighty percent fill, full? Excuse <laughs> me. So, so if we put a team of soccer players through a workout that is targeted, at, um, you know, glycolytic capacity. Then some of those guys are going to fill their genetic potential to 60%, some might be 80%, and some might be maxed out on the stimulus that you give them at that moment in time. That's optimization of systems, as you would call it, and I would call it, right, how big is your genetic bucket and how close is my training program? Getting to optimizing or maximizing your potential. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of it, what you do in your world is look at, like, what I would call, you know, contraindications essentially. Mm -hmm. Where where is someone compromised Mm -hmm. against this genetic bucket? And that's your Engano example, where, okay, that's a very specific thing that you've got to get with that individual and understand why his genetic bucket might not be filling to 100%. What are, the, what are the restrictions? What's the limitations that's capping him at 75%? Now, if I go and look into that individual athlete, you might identify one, two, three different things that if we correct those things, now the potential for the genetic bucket to go from 75 to 95% is increased and these two things that for me are completely interrelated but a very different strategy one is very much an individual approach and one is yeah it's a systems response it's optimizing systems mm. and like i said i keep saying it it we sometimes we get ahead of ourselves and make things really complex change we know how to change muscle physiology we know how to change aerobic physiology right. we know how to change a lactic physiology like that, that that's been done for years and years and years so that, that that we kind of know that that's hard to mess up somewhat yeah we get we get clever and we play around with programming strategies, but you know, yeah, the one one of it is is pretty well defined. Yeah. But this piece over here, I think that's the true specialist piece where you're breaking down individual contraindications or um, you know uh, where an athlete is compromised on mm-hmm. their ability to, to to have their genetic potential maximized.
0: Absolutely. I don't know if
1: that makes sense. There's a lot of maximized and compromised there but that, that's kind of how i look at it i'm
0: still interested in talking so whatever you said was
1: <laughs> clearly something there if we rewind it
0: something was intelligent no, <laughs> that's great but you know what it's, it's another point that we bring up is that you've dealt with a lot of high-level athletes your whole life i'm assuming and now you're in this scenario where you're given people who are just playing out what they were destined to do right um and then there's a discussion about the potential to change that, des- that destiny. But how much of it, like, let's take a fighter, any fighter. You can. Let, we, we were talking about um, uh, Usman. I was talking about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: I mean. He's pretty good. He's all right, right? I mean, as far <laughs> as fighters go. He's pretty my, good. You know, he'd give
0: you a problem.
1: Yeah, he makes Corey look good.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: no I'm Or,
0: or in Ghana, or any, like, how much of it is you're just getting their body out of their way, and how much of it is what they're doing, like what the training is? You know what I mean? Like, is it is it the workouts that we're doing, or are we just trying to get out of their way to to let their genetics show? What's the and the reason I ask this is because there's a lot of influence now on social media with with outliers. Mm. And I think it's really fucking dangerous to – know, you you'll have a Navy SEAL or someone who's just like clearly an outlier as it is giving advice to look past your injuries and if your ankle hurts fucking good, fuck your ankle, chop it off and keep going. And (laughs) people have this – because I always say I've dealt with – I've had the pleasure of dealing with athletes to the pro level for a long time now too. Yeah. And they're not – they're not there necessarily because what they did was the smartest sequences of events. They're there because they should be there for the most. Yeah,
1: time. you know, what I'm I mean, they're there despite us, not be because of us, right? If, and if anything, they are people that survived the shit we put them through, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I always say, you know, like I liken it to, you know, a stallion, right? You're trying to get a Mustang, like the most purebred Mustang out on the plains. You know, you don't want to take the wild out of the Mustang. That Like that's a special animal. That's a special beast, right? But we know that we can throw a saddle on a Mustang and train it to, you know, to do particular things, but it's still a purebred Mustang. Right. And I think athletes are like that, you know, I'm flipping and saying, despite us rather than because of us. But yeah, you know, I think, you know, the, these people are, you know, high level athletes. have got not only a mindset that is different to, you know, the, the, mo- the most of the people, um, but a physiological makeup that allows them to have a durability um to go through the rigors of whether it's good or bad training exposure and still rise and still maximize that genetic bucket that i was talking about Do you know what i mean and i think yeah it, it is fascinating because i think you know in the particularly in the world of s c we can you know there's a lot of rah-rah and, and and bigging ourselves up and um you know let's just take a step back and and, and really figure out the contribution that we're making here it's a critical contribution but um the, the, these These individuals are special individuals anyway
0: oh yeah it's it's an incredible contribution by no means do I want to downplay it because when you're talking with you know two stallions it's you know who has that little bit more so I mean right. at that level yeah. it's so necessary it's it's crazy and it's probably not given enough credit but if you scale that out to people getting advice
1: as well to, you, know, you know what I mean yeah, in the sport—I mean, in the sport that I'm in right now—and you know, there's no disrespect to anybody. I love our guys, but um, you know, I think in combat sports in general, not just MMA, there's almost an endemic of overtraining, um, and that is the—that is the issue of the warrior spirit, right? So, you know, the warrior spirit is critical to what our what our athletes are, our fighters. That's why they're so good at what they do. They will run through a brick wall, whereas a normal person will not. You know, they'll go to some deep, deep, dark places. But that that can if that's inappropriately managed, that that's gonna get in their way, right? So, you know, often our role is to pull the horses back a little bit, is to just formulate a better approach, a better strategy. We don't wanna dilute any of that desire, any of that spirit, any of that internal intrinsic motivation that makes them so special to go into those deep places. We've just got to do it in the right order, the right structure, the right fashion, the right distribution across time, the right progression. And I think that's what our role is. Uh, a lot of the time, and I so, think I see that. Yeah, I see that more in our in our domain right now than say you know my time with basketball or soccer or rugby or whatever it may be.
0: Yeah, I mean, so you're holding back the reins where
1: necessary because they will drive through. Absolutely, I, I mean, they're going to redline. They're going to redline every session as much as they can. It's a fight, right? Everything in <laughs> fighters fight. That's what they do. So that's, if yeah. you give them a workout, they're going to win and fight that workout. If you give them a sparring session, they're going to win that sparring session. If you give them a technical drilling, the technical drilling is still going to be, you know, they're going to try and win that battle. And, that, and that's kind of what I'm saying is that they often, and it's not, I don't want to say that this is a bad thing, Right. But it's, we just got to channel it. I think, you know, oh, in yeah. it just yeah. has
0: to be, it has to be funneled. It has to be managed. Right. right. I guess brings us to the next point or the next thing I was going to talk to you for the beginning of this is the UFC PI. Right. Now that, that, that's, the, that would be the idea is that you're trying to, you're trying to, you know, build trust. That's what I was going to get at. It's, it's, it'd be so important at that in that case, when you're dealing with a fighter who's the result of their sport, is not the same as the result of a basketball game. We can agree, right? So like you said, if you get a guy who's already, or a girl who's already in their brain, they're genetically a fighter. They want to fight. Mm -hmm. Um, And and their sport involves them protecting their their life, not only their livelihood. Um, Consequences are pretty big. The consequences are pretty damn big, right? So they would really have to trust you to tell them to back away right? And, and even more than other athletes, like you really do. I've dealt, I've dealt with a lot of team athletes, and I got to be honest, these are amazing. I'm not insulting professional team athletes, but yeah. individual athletes, I, I think they inherently have, a, I'm in this, they are, they're, they're in this alone, no yeah. matter, you know, what happens. So there is no, there is no pause or relaxation or off season, or I'll just let myself put on 10 pounds here or there. It, it Especially now in, in UFC, I notice Everyone's ready all the time.
1: Yeah. Right. This is I mean, not like
0: BJ Penn, right? BJ, you know, weight goes on, weight comes off, weight goes on, weight, the olden days. It's yeah. not like that anymore. Right. Yeah. No, so I, no. I, I was getting at a question there. So what I was going to say is without trust in your knowledge, it must be impossible to hold back on the reins.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's so, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head and, and you know, if you're the eighth man on a basketball team, you can probably hide and have a night off. Right. And, and yeah. get by, but it, there's no hiding in the octagon. It's, it's one of one. Right. And and if you're successful, it's because of you. And if you fail, it's because of you. And mm-hmm. um, so you're absolutely right. Like building, uh, building a relationship, number one, but then a confidence of the athlete to say, hey, these guys have got my best interest at heart. They, they know what they're talking about or they're, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to improve me and support my progress. Giving up that, like taking down those barriers and giving up that much um, control, let's say, Um is, is something that is, is really challenging for individual spiders. Um, mm-hmm. But that's what we're trying to do is, you know, we know it's not, it's, you know, we don't have all the answers. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, this is a partnership. We're a stakeholder in their success. And that's um, that's how we want to message it. But um, we also want to demonstrate our awareness, our insights. You know, I think I think what we try to do, and Forrest Griffin, my colleague, says this the best, you know, that they, we've got great, technical knowledge in combat sports in mma Mm -hmm. and what we have at the pi is great expertise in supplementary services you know physiology sports science medical strength and conditioning nutrition whatever and what we're trying to do is marry these two and bring these two together now that you know some marriages work well and some marriages are are, are rocky you know and we've got to work through that but um, bring in the technical expertise and this this um, supplementary expertise together is what professional athletics is in other sports in this day and age. And I think that's where combat sport is very granular, you know, and it's evolution has been a little bit slower and we're trying to professionalize the outset, the the, the perspective on um, how athletes go about their preparation, their recovery, their competition, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's our mandate. And, the, and I, I would agree that I, I would think you would agree that
0: education of the fighters
1: is key right
0: mm-hmm. education and
1: then outcomes. not just the, not just the fighters of their coaches as well we, Absolutely. we we any anyone that is a stakeholder you talk about cory peacock right cory is a stakeholder in Usman's performance as mm-hmm. is henry hoof his coach and you know he's at elevate right now okay mm-hmm. but, um you know the the um anyone that's got a, an input with a fighter we want to engage with the whole team if we just talk to the fighter about process and methodology and then they go back to a gym where a coach doesn't really believe in what we're doing. It's, it's contradictory. And then they're going to lean with their coach. They're going to lean with their support team. You know, what we do at the performance Institute is we want to engage with anybody that is surrounding the athlete and working with the athlete.
0: And, and for people listening, I can't, if you've never been involved in combat sports, I can't tell you how quickly a sensei or instructor becomes a expert master PhD physiologist in exercise and specializing in ointments and how to fix and, and <laughs> distribute load. And, 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 and you know what? And it's not an insult because I've been with so many instructors right now. And when you're in the trenches with someone training combat sport, you can't help but trust people in a, in a way that you can't get in any other way. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. when your instructor says something, whether or not you believe it or not, you're gonna shut the fuck up and you're gonna do it right there and then worry about it later. Now, you're
1: doing jujitsu right now, right? You, yeah. Well, my talk- face is all mashed up from this morning. I was looking at my video here. <laughs> so,
0: so you can attest to that. Like sometimes the person asks you to do something and then you're like, you know, it's, it's usually during the warm up or during the, and then you're like, oh, fuck, from an exercise physiological standpoint, this doesn't make any sense. makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. No. I, then, yeah. Then I, then I go to the website like- before you start. I don't know if you've done this yet, where they try to ex- exhaust the shit out of your neural system. Like they just redline it so that you can get
1: used to fighting tired <laughs> that's the classic that's yeah. not just combat sport i mean football does that every day <laughs> right
0: yeah so how, how do you how do you um i guess that that's like you were saying you have to get in on a, on a number of different people and the pi is particularly important because other you know when you have a smaller fight camp you don't have the metrics you don't have the outcome measures right and I'm one for, I'm one for, you know, be basic and, and your training should be basic. But with these athletes, it's, it's, it's how many parts of their system are you tracking? And that the PI is from, from what I've been introduced and, and taught, you're tracking everything that is trackable, Right. Well, the, well first,
1: the first thing I would say is it's, it's an a la carte approach, right? So we look at every fighter and every team on an individual basis. Now, some, some fighters want to engage with us 100% in everything we, we would do. And, and as you say, then we're going to wrap them in diagnostics and objective assessment so that we can be super intentional, coming back to some of our earlier discussions, about what is it that you need to improve on? What are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And then we can get into the conversation. Are we maximizing your strengths or are we targeting a weakness to lift your lowest limitation? And then that's going to drive your development. You know, so some fighters will engage with it completely. Other fighters are going to say, Hey, I just want to cherry pick off this menu of what the performance Institute can offer. You know, what a nutritional support, because I'm I'm cool with my strength coach. I'm cool with my technical work. Everything else is good. I feel healthy, but you know, I just want to sort out my weight management or my weight descent and they can, carte pick that piece. But what I would say is that at the heart of what we do at the Institute is objective insight. Mm. And I always say if you're not assessing, you're guessing. Mm -hmm. And so when we're dealing with trying to make world champions, it's hard to be a world championship by just, you know, by good luck and guessing. Right. I think the best, the best champions are strategic in their approach. They understand what their strengths and weaknesses are. They need to target specific things. They need to develop technically or physiologically or physically in certain areas or mentally in certain areas. And then they go after that and they improve. And that's what we offer with our, our assessment and our diagnostic or let's just say our objective approach to service delivery in all of our technical areas
0: so and the the original purpose for this like as a business let's just talk about that what was the what was the why 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 are we doing this there's nowhere else that this is done in a a professional sports setting that i know of Uh, or maybe it is and i'm just
1: no, I mean, at the end of the day, it's assets, right? It's, it's pr- protecting and looking after your assets. And mm-hmm. the, the unique thing about the UFC as a, let's call them a league, which is what they are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that it's, we work with independent contractors. So the fighters, are, we don't own the rights to the fighters, like the New York Yankees would own the rights to all of their players. Um, but we've still got a vested interest in putting the best fights on and making sure our best talent get into the octagon and the best fights occur, you know people aren 't missing weight or championship fights don 't drop off because of injuries etc there 's a financial implication of a world champion a world title fight dropping off a fight card so you know the UFC and, and God bless them like, had the foresight to say, all right, we, we as a league are going to invest in our assets uh, and provide this um, you know this infrastructure, this service to them, um, free of charge, if if they're on our roster, um, to protect them and to maximise their potential to put on a great show for an audience. And if the show is is fantastic and exciting, and the best fighters are fighting, then you know we're going to have more people tuning into what is our great sport. And I think that's yeah, uh, you know, that, that that's what the Performance Institute is about.
0: Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. And so, what is what is going on at the institute now? Last time. Not the last time, a few times ago, or well, we were speaking before you guys went
1: into, into China. Right. right? And, then, and then that opened. How's it out there right now? <laughs> well, I mean, China's been an interesting one for obvious yeah. reasons in this yeah. time. Um, but we are open again on August 3rd. We opened up and we have a, a 95,000 square foot facility with a full time academy in China. Um, so those fighters are back in full time training now. And um, prior to COVID, um, we were open kind of six, seven months and uh, our fight record was like 33 and three. Um, so Great. we would, yeah, the guys were smashing it over there. Uh, and again, that's more of a talent pathway into what we would call the big UFC. And mm-hmm. um, those guys aren't currently in the UFC and, and we're trying to do talent development in a geographical region where we think, you know, obviously there's mass appeal for working in China from a commercial perspective, but also that's a rich history of martial arts that is not mm-hmm. necessarily MMA. It's things like Sanda or, you know, judo or karate. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, can we transfer some of those guys into our sports? Um, so yeah, China's happening. Uh, the, you know, Vegas is is up and running again and all the events I'm sure people are seeing, um, I, you know, the UFC is running events every weekend now. Um, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy for us because we've moved to more of an event support model as well. So we're not just a, a transient facility in Vegas. We're supporting every single event with uh, medical and nutrition support to help the fighters with those critical pieces as they prepare for what is the most important thing, i.e. competition. Um, But we're expanding a big, you know, we're bringing online a big digital platform here soon. Uh, Again, I I think um, in the first three years of our existence, we've been very much about about like tweaking and tailing our operations. You know what? What does it need to be for our support for our clients, i.e., the fighters and the coaches? Um, now, what we want to do for the next three years is really start opening up the doors from an education and outreach perspective. Um, so we're going to be bringing on a lot more kind of digital interaction. We want to build a global community of uh, people that have got a vested interest in working with combat athletes, so we can essentially elevate and just rise the you know the best practice. And we get a ripple effect around the world. That's our, you know, our ambition. So we want to build that global community, want to get access for people externally to our expertise, you know, our our, our staff. Um, We're looking at, you know, certification and accreditation structures. um, Again, trying to drive best practice so fighters can make good informed choices of of who who they can work with and and, and who's been um, essentially defined as, as a good practitioner. Um, so yeah, we've got lots of ambition, and then you know more specific project work on some key areas like heat heat acclimation for um, you know for, for weight cutting or looking at you know um, instrumented mouthpieces for monitoring you know head impacts and workloads and those types of things. We're getting into some cool stuff as well. So
0: wow, that's 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 really interesting. I was talking to that's
1: funny. I was talking to Forrest about that last time I was there, and it was
0: the whole like when the UF the PI came, you guys went through like many many years of research like it was like you were running but it was it was you were trying to amalgamate you know trying to grab the best things that you could for for a variety of different uh things that you would need to create a a a champion fighter so it was a lot of like research and development for the first few years but there's nothing stagnant about the ufca like once that point is hit it's now it's now it's it's not just it's now it's bringing everyone up to speed and now you guys are elevating even past and you guys are in research things now and you guys are doing like seminars and I know yeah you've got yeah
1: yeah goals I mean, it's you know, it, it's hard to swing your dick three, three months into a new project and say you're the man, right? And, and, and that's not what we're about. So we deliberately kind of just kept our heads down um, and, and just started accruing information and learning, learning what our population of athletes are about, you know, just trying so we can create those population norms and those distributions within different assessments and different um, diagnostics so that we can give our athletes better information. You know, we're not going to give them – the specific results of athlete X y or Z but mm-hmm. what we can say is hey you're a 185 middleweight um, and here's the norm values for the middleweight division here's the distribution curve like you sit below the average above the average now we can have a conversation well I'm not really bothered if I'm sitting below the average because my skill over here or this quality is so much better than the you know the rest of the division so I'm prepared to leave that or all right that's a limitation I can now target it I know that I'm, I'm, I've got issues. That helps a lot with guys that are deciding which weight class to sit in as well. When they're looking at strength, power, fit, you know, conditioning, um, you know, should I move up? Should I move down? We can compare them and give them way more insight to what they would have had historically to make a more informed choice. Um, but yeah, the UFC is a pretty dynamic company. You know, it's uh, it's a great company to work with, and it's obviously driven by Dana at the helm um, and and just his vision and his innovation and his mindset. Um, but the Performance Institute and what we try to do, we you know we we don't stand still. Um, and again, we want to continue to t- turn over new stones, figure out how we can help our fighters more. And as, as I say, moving forwards, do a better job of, of communicating to the to the global community that I have an, an interest not only in combat sports but human performance in general, um, and and really just elevate the conversation. Brilliant, brilliant. So, do you make fight predictions, or you're not one of those guys? I mean, it depends because we're agnostic to the whole roster, right? So, I've got to kind of sit on the fence. So I want it to be a good fight. Yeah, that's what <laughs> Because really we might have worked with both, both fighters, and that's the unique thing about the PI as well, you know? Yeah,
0: well, we're doing this uh, on the Friday. It's Friday, yeah. today,
1: right? Correct, yeah. And, and the biggest and world title
0: fight in history tomorrow. <laughs> dude. Dude, I mean, you know what? Did you see the picture? It's, I, I can't explain how big some, some of these guys are, like Stepe. but yeah. if you saw the last picture that he, he was hitting mitts with um, with his coach. I feel, who's his coach? Name was slipping my mind from Strong Style there. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: He was hit, the guy looks like he's four – he looks like a giant from Lord of the fucking Rings. Like, he's,
1: yeah, he's – I would say farmer strength, right? He's just a beast of a guy. Yeah, like, like, <laughs>
0: fucking – head like yeah. mine and his fists are, who's the most who's the most like standout athlete like if you had to pick one that you've worked with at the pi and you don't have to pick favorites but just in terms of that thing that we were talking about with the genetics like the holy shit
1: genetics i mean the holy shit genetics of francis and like okay. hands down i thought, I thought you like, were- that guy's that guy's like a greek god uh, yes, the, the irony was when Francis first – I mean, he, when the first, PI first opened, Francis was a project that was kind of sent by Dana. Um, and, you know, his, his strength and his power levels were like that of a you know, a 155-er. Um, you know, he's obviously worked on that now. But if you look at the guy, he's like a freaking Greek god. Do you know what I mean? It's unbelievable genetics. He could be a, a defensive end in the NFL. He could be a post player in the NBA. He could – be a professional boxer if he wanted he could do anything that guy he's amazing
0: inordinately lucky. yeah i ran into him the last time we were there he walked by i was like holy just a fucking present and then yeah. the, lucky enough the winner of the weekend well i guess if it's cormier he's 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 one and done now right that'd be it for him we'll but see yeah we'll see if you if you're sipe then you're lucky enough to uh to run into him again soon <laughs>
1: okay. yeah the 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 the, the the result of winning the world title again is you get to fight Francis one more time. So,
0: yay! <laughs> okay, sir, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I gotta tell you, I, I appreciate it. I know we went off into arguably, I thought it was more interesting, but I did yeah, not cool. know. I did not know. I knew you, right? We worked together and all this stuff, but I didn't know your your uh, educational background, which places you at a very specific. Like, if you if you think about who to hire and how to hire. Dana White does it well right for that reason being a neuroendocrine person at the helm of managing these types of athletes is exactly who you
1: want you know kind of pulling the strings it's, it's phenomenal well I, 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 I appreciate you you know was that I appreciate that it's very kind of you I mean I've got a great team around me that you know that, that I, I always say there's levels to sport right there's definitely levels in MMA but um I think there's levels in, in sports performance as well. And, you know, I put our team um, up against anybody. We've got some great people at the performance Institute doing yeah. great things. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited just to be able to, uh, drive that ship a little bit and, uh, you know, just w- we're having fun and we're enjoying it. And hopefully the fighters are seeing the benefit of what we do for them.
0: Yeah. It's, and you know, shout out to Bobo Bo is, is training there still. And oh, Heather, yeah. yeah, Heather with the, the physical therapy and shout yeah. out to them and big, what's up, you know, uh, First time I was there, I met Dan Ige. Yeah, yeah. And, we were, and he was at the seminar, and we worked, yeah,
1: we worked with him. I remember like, that. Yeah, I remember that. Dude,
0: now, I just, that's all i got to say. That guy, look, he looks so much better, man.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, his last fight versus Calvin Katar was, you know, that was a battle, man. But Dan is, Dan's a warrior, and yeah, he's, he's another great guy who tries to do things right, buys into monitoring and assessment. Yep. So he can, mm-hmm. I've just met, he, it means he can make better decisions about how to look after himself, and that's all we're trying to do. Um, yeah, Uriah Hall has got um, you know, a big fight right. coming up. He was at that seminar that you did the first seminar. time around. So. I, I
0: love it. I love the fighters. I love fighters. They, they want to know for them. You know what I mean? And we'll get into that topic later about their, their drive. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it another time. How about that?
1: Yeah, sounds good. Very good. My friend,
0: thank you so much. We're going to do it soon again. Um, anything you want to shout out to or
1: how we find more about you? Yeah, no. I, like I say, I appreciate the platform and chat. It's been fantastic to reconnect. I'm on all the social channels. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Doctor Doctor underscore Duncan underscore French. Most of the time, I believe. So, uh, yeah, if anybody wants to reach out, I uh, I try to be accessible. And uh, yeah, I'm just doing my thing, and, and hopefully it helps people. So,
0: yeah. brilliant. Big hug, my friend.
1: All right, thanks, Frank. We'll talk again soon. Yeah, take care. Appreciate it.